Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Today on the Optus Sport Football Podcast, I'm joined by former Aston Villa and Denmark goalkeeper Thomas Sorensen, as well as ex-Leeds United striker Michael Bridges. Are Manchester United in crisis? Ange makes it impossible for us to go a week without talking about him. And have any of our panel ever been so late for work that they've missed their plane? I'm Phil Kitramelides. We'll be discussing all that and more on this week's Optus Sport Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Optus Sport Football Podcast. We're back to the land of club football. But once again, Mark Schwarzer has gone AWOL. I'm promised it's for the last time for a while, at least. I'm not sure I believe it. But anyway, Schwarzer's not here. But uh, I've got Thomas Sorison and Michael Bridges with me, which is uh, which is uh, fantastic news. You guys have known Schwarzer for a long time. Is he always this difficult to tie down? Because he's missed quite a few podcasts recently. And I, I'm not sure if I should uh, expect this or not. Phil, he's an absolute joke, mate. <laughs> He's got palaces all over the world, man. We, we never know where, what country he's in, what time zone. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm reliably informed. Phil, when you played that many games in the Premier League and you've earned as much money as Mark Sports, uh, like Thomas says, there's palaces everywhere. You never know where he's travelling. Um, and he doesn't fly because obviously he's got to take his precious little puppies with him as well. So he drives all over the country and around the world, mate. So there you go. But good riddance because I love having Tommy because we were teammates together and it's great to see you again, Phil. So good good riddance to uh, Mark. Nice one. Uh, precious little puppies. That's not a euphemism, by the way. He's literally driving with his dogs uh, to um, to one of his palaces in Spain. So there we go. That's why Schwartzy isn't here. But uh, uh, there we go. Uh, Thomas and Michael are, are with us. So, guys, uh, we're going to we've got lots to talk about. We're going to get to La Liga a little bit later on in the in the program. We're going to obviously talk about Spurs because we've got to talk about them every single podcast, not least because Ange Postecoglou is doing such an amazing job. Uh, we'll talk about the goalkeeping situation at Arsenal as well uh, in uh, in just a moment. But we're going to kick off by talking about Manchester United and their 3-1 defeat at home to Brighton. Uh, Bridgie, you were, you were at Old Trafford. You were commentating on this game for, uh, for Optus Sport. They were beaten 3-1 by Brighton. They, they, they deserve to lose this game. Oh, Phil, they certainly did. Do you know what it is? Prior to the game, I, I always like to check out the, you know, what what's going on with changes after the national break, and I, I really fancied Brighton um, to get one over here on Man United anyway, regardless, because I love watching Brighton play, and I'd seen Man United previously against Nottingham Forest um, at Old Trafford. How they had a terrible start and they were two 0 down, but they they found a way to control the game and get back in and win that game. And um, Eric Tanhog was he was able to change a few things up, but that was not enough Forest. They went and defended deep. So I'm thinking this is an interesting game that Brighton, they're going to be the first team to really, you know, have a crack at Old Trafford to try and break this record that Man United have got at home, which is sensational. And I saw that he'd made six changes, and I'm thinking, oh, the dynamics. It's you haven't got long to work with a team after the international break to make six changes. 
And I'll tell you what, it was absolutely poetry in motion. And um, Deserby and his staff and the players deserve all the credits and accolades that they are getting made because it was a it was an absolute masterclass. Now, if there's anything that I take away from this game, um, it's the it's not it's not the quality of play that Deserby brings to Brighton. He does that anyway. They play out from the back. They're so composed. They try and suck the other team out to create space in behind the lines where they can play through. It's when they don't have the ball that is so good for me. The way they defend in numbers, the way they high press, they look so well organised without the ball. And they look committed to the cause and they understand what is what is like the non-negotiables, I call it, of work rate. I look at Manchester United and they changed their system. They went with a four diamond in midfield. It didn't work. Um, it was good to see Hoyland out on the, on the park and he played with Rashford up top. And they had nothing to offer defensively. I've got to say, they just went... When you look at the work ethic and the the understanding between two teams, it was embarrassing. I mean, the first 10 minutes, Man United were awesome. But apart from that, I've got to say, an absolute masterclass across the board from um, from Deserby and Brighton. If I was a Man United fan, I would be disgusted at the work ethic and the understanding and the fact the manager didn't change it. I can see you yeah, nodding along, Thomas. You, you you agree with a lot yeah. of what's been said there. Yeah, no, I, I agree with Bridgie in, in in a lot of that. But uh, you know, I think the adjustments that the Serbi made to the four four two that that was a bit of a surprise because Ten Hag hasn't played that in the past really a, a lot. And 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 yeah, Brighton did struggle playing out uh, the first ten minutes, but then they made the adjustments. They they the centre backs made a, you know went a lot wider. Um, you know, and and created a lot more space uh, for Man United to cover, and and they just couldn't cover. And and let's be honest, it's not a team, and the players they have are not are not built for pressing. Uh, you know, Fernandez. Uh, you know, he's he, you know he doesn't want want to run out without the ball uh, for, for for most parts. Uh, you know, so so you've got too many players. I feel that um, that doesn't quite suit that and 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 Brighton are just too good the way they they played and and Bridgie lined it uh Tommy, defensively you, man you, united i thought i, I just thought there was a lack of effort we you know you look at the goals just not tracking players casimiro i don't know what's going on with him uh you know the the form he's come back McTominay, i don't think he's good enough for for this team uh if they want to be a top 2 top 3 team uh they've got issues i was really really worried when i saw the way that the first 10 minutes you said there, Tommy, Manchester United had the press. They did very, very well. The press centrally and they made it very, very tough. Deserby, like you say, shifted the system. And what happened then? Because the diamond of Man United was so narrow in midfield, the fullbacks, um, Lamperty and Veltman, were able to just have acres of space. And then what Brighton did, they just played played around the sides of them. And then and Welbeck dropped in from a number nine position at the midfield to overload it. Now, I'm no I'm no UEFA A license um, pro diploma coach, right? I don't play in, I don't coach in the Premier League. I'm witnessing this after the first 20 minutes of a game and I'm thinking, right, when are you gonna do something to counteract what is going on here, Mr. Tanag, who's got all the accolades and all this stuff? And I'm thinking, I said it, I, I said it when I was doing the company, he's got to change something at half time. It wasn't I didn't say change player wise, it was system, you've got to do something. And he didn't. So for me, I questioned that. Like, did he did he really see it? Did him and his staff see what was going on, or did they just not have an understanding and, and a plan B as to how to counteract what Deserby was doing? It, it, it was almost like you remember the the old thing, Phil, the the Thunderbirds when you you had a puppet master and the you know they they're mm-hmm. all on strings. Deserby had Eric Ten Hag on absolute strings, mate. He was playing them like a puppet, and I'd be 
if I was involved in Manchester United Football Club as in uh, somebody in the hierarchy and you understand the game, I'd be scratching my head saying, why have we got Ten Hag and why do we not have De Zerbe as our gaffer? Uh, it's nice that you've both uh, mentioned how good Brighton were because it's easy for us to go off and, and, and slag off Manchester United and say they weren't there, but they were also up against a very, very good team, a brilliantly coached team. And, and it's good that we've both, um, well, all of us have given them have given them credit. That said, I'm going to revert now to the slightly uh, uh, tabloid-esque question. And it's an easy question to ask, are Manchester United in crisis? And crisis is, it's easier to suggest that a big, big club like Manchester United are in crisis when they don't have a good start to the season. But their start has been really, really poor, both on the field and off the field as well. You've got the situation with Jadon Sancho, you've got the situation with Anthony as well. The results on the pitch have been have been really poor. The, the performances on the pitch have been poor generally as well. So allow me to slip into tabloid mode. Are Manchester United in crisis? I personally think as a club, on all levels, if you look at it um, holistically, I think they are in crisis. Um, not necessarily on the pitch. I think there's, you know, it's still too early. I think they've, you know, Mount, Varane, Shaw, they've got injuries uh, and then self-inflicted wounds with, with players, uh, obviously, uh, you know, getting charged with all sorts of things. Um, but but I think as a club, if you, if you, you know, the, the the biggest comparison would be across town with, with Manchester City. Um, you know, right from the ownership, um, you know, the 10 months now it's been going on, they've been trying to, to sell the club and now it sounds like that they don't want to sell. Uh, all that brings that they need investment as a club uh, in the stadium, in the facilities, in, in in everything else. And, and then there's just a, seems to be a lack of direction. If you look at the players, you look at the players that Man City have bought and you look at what, you know, Man United have spent their players on. You know, they're, they're, their most expensive players are Pogba, Anthony, Maguire, Sancho, Lukaku, Di Maria. Now Hoyland has come in as well. And, and how many have really made an impact? It just seems to be something that it suits the moment, but it doesn't have any long-term idea or strategy or direction uh, where you look at the people that are hired at other clubs, uh, you know, Brighton, we can also take them into it. You know, the successful clubs, this just seems to be a bigger picture and United, I'm, I'm sorry to say, you know, you know, the, yeah, they're still a big brand. We've, yeah. we've seen that with the, you know, the Adidas deal and the Qualcomm deal. So they've, they've still got a big pull in, in the football world, but you know, in my opinion, it won't be long before they start slipping down the, the scale if they don't, yeah. you know, if they don't start to get their act in, in order. Do you know what was interesting walking out of the, the ground at the, the weekend? I've been at Old Trafford in the past and, you, you, you know, when teams have come and had a go and, and Manchester United find a way to win, like I say, the Forest game and a couple of games last season. And it was kind of like, oh, you know, we, we, were, we were lucky there. We got away with that one, but we found a way. This is Manchester United. This is Old Trafford. And the other day, it, it, every when I was walking out, it was incredible to hear how many people went, my God, we were just totally outplayed. We were outclassed there. And I haven't heard many, hmm. I haven't heard that from many Manchester United fans in the past. There's always like this kind of thing around Manchester United. They've always got to be the biggest and the best and they get hard done by by decisions and this. And there's always excuses. There's a lot of fans admitted and just went, my word, that was a masterclass. That reminded us of the days when we would destroy teams and play them off the park. Uh, and I've got to say, it might be an early call here. Um, Phil, I'm going to give you another headline. I, I said it just before full-time whistle um, to my co-commentator, Peen. 
I said, um, this this Brighton team, with the performances I've seen from them this season, I love watching them. Yeah, they had a slip up against West Ham. They got beat 3-1. Where are you going here? That, Where are you going? I'm saying, these, you are, going? These, are, these are title contenders, mate. I am telling you. This team is title contenders. When you make six changes Brighton. and demolish Manchester United... Oh, well, I'm not obviously not talking about Man United, am I? Because they're not title contenders. They've been terrible. <laughs> My God, let's get let's get on. Let's that talk about real. That would be a take, about, mate. I was going to say that's probably a bigger headline, you know. Man United are title contenders. There's your biggest headline. Brighton are title contenders, mate. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win the European Cup that they're in. This Brighton team, there's only since the Zerbi took over, there's only Manchester City who scored 82 goals and uh, Arsenal was 79. They're the only two teams that have scored more goals than this Brighton team since Deserby arrived. Now, um, they've beat Man United, they've beat Newcastle United, they lost to West Ham, they won the other two games 4-1. This, I've never seen a team as relentless going forward and creating as many chances as, um, and defensively, they look, they look a lot lot steadier than um, like I've seen them in the past. I'm, I was just blown away by them. I've got to say it's the best performance I have seen from his team and I admire them so much. So there you go, Phil. There you go, indeed. Brighton are title contenders and they're going to win the Europa League as well. They're in a group with Marseille, Ajax and AEK Athens, but okay, they're going to win the Europa League and they're title contenders. Phil, don't laugh at us. I got laughed at on this this podcast by Mr. Swarter when I said Newcastle would finish top four last season. And look what happened there. So I'm just looking, they they call me Nostradamus because of my big nose, mate. So watch your space. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, Nostradamus. Listen, uh, we're recording on the 18th of September, uh, 2023, the day that Nostradamus has predicted Brighton uh, will be uh, challenging for the title. Let's see where we are. Listen, after after seeing that and seeing the start and seeing how the manager has got them playing, um, it's not ridiculous. They do have European football to contend with for the first time ever. So let's see how they get on uh, with that. Let's move on. Let's move on and talk about what everybody really wants to talk about uh, this week. Right, right, Bridgie? Uh, we're getting to the Tottenham Tottenham part of the podcast. Now, it was obvious that we were going to talk about Tottenham a lot on this podcast this season because they've got uh, Ange Postecoglou, uh, the first Australian manager in the Premier League. What we didn't envisage was this really quite extraordinary start that they've had 13 points from a possible 15 and they did it in an unbelievable way at the weekend. They were 1-0 down. In the 97th minute, they scored in the 98th minute and the 100th minute to beat Sheffield United 2-1. It's the latest ever comeback in Premier League history. Uh, and it was just the, scenes, scenes in North London, limbs when that goal went in from Kulusevsky. Um, let's, hear from the, uh, let's hear from the manager because uh, uh, Ange spoke to Optusport after the game about how the Tottenham fans are really buying into everything what's going on. I think they see something in it. Um, you know, even today, the, there was probably a bit of frustration from everybody, players and, and fans, that we weren't scoring. But, uh, you know, the, the one thing about our football is that we'll be, we will be relentless irrespective of the score. And I think they like that. They, they want to see their team, you know, being aggressive. And even when we were 1-0 down, we were doing that. So it's, uh, so it's great. So it was interesting before we came on air, uh, we were talking to uh, the uh, producer, um, Elliot, who was, who was there. And he said... Nobody left the stadium. No fans were leaving the stadium with Spurs 1-0 down in the 97th minute. They believed that they could get something out of this game. And there's clearly belief in the players and in the fans as well. Because this game last season, Spurs definitely wouldn't have got anything out of. They'd missed loads of chances. Sheffield United scored with basically their only chance of the game. It felt like, oh no, same old Tottenham. But it's not same old Tottenham. It's Ange's Tottenham and it's a different beast. 
it certainly is a different beast. I'm absolutely buzzing about this. And, you know, speaking to Elliot before um, we came on and he was saying about the stadium, Phil, we, we know that that stadium would have been empty by the 80th minute if it had been under previous managers because there's no way Tottenham would have found a way to come back from that. But this is Ange Postecoglou. This is the belief that he's brought. This is the exciting football he's brought. And I've said it from day one to, to all Tottenham fans that I've met or all things I've done um, on socials saying, win, lose or draw, you're going to have an exciting style of football. It's not going to be what you've endured under Mourinho, under Conte, under um, who was the guy from Wolves' ass. Oh, I kind of think of his name. He was that good. Um, Bruno Spirito Santo. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and it's just fantastic to see. So it's, Ange is not, you know, he's, he's known for this as well. Um, I remember being in the A-League and watching um, him for Brisbane Row when they won in the grand final. And like they, they needed two goals late on to win it. And they actually did. I think it was Matt Mackay managed to get them over the line from from that. So he's renowned for his, his, his old comebacks. He's, he tells the players to have the belief late on in the games. And I think it just, um, the, it also... You've got to you've got to be a player to want to win that game as well. So it's not just saying it's it's all Ange. The players have bought into what Ange is all about. There, it's exciting times, and um, that result was absolutely phenomenal. So it's you know for the fans to stay behind, I think that's the biggest telltale factor for me. If I if you were involved in that football club behind the scenes, and Daniel Levy looking around, going, "My word, we've made a right good decision here bringing this man because he he is bringing us attractive football. He's not only to bring the belief to the football players at this football club and the staff." It's the fans, uh, and that's that's the biggest buy-in for me, and I'm I'm absolutely buzzing from. Yeah, and I, and I think what what he's what what he's brought is is the change. You know, he, he you know we know as players, Bridgie, you know sometimes it, it can just be the same old, same old all the time. Um, but but he he's actually, you know, actively gone in. Um, you know, changed, tweaked. You know, uh, you know, got them fit. But but then. You know the pre-match has been changed. Meetings have been shortened. You know, he's varied the training sessions, um, and and also you know he's he's changed the leadership group as well. You know so there's just small things where he's listened, and then he's he's empowering his players to to go out and express themselves. His staff, uh, you know, he's bringing in you know good people, uh, you know that 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 know their stuff, and and just let people get on with it. You know, if you are the doctor. Yeah. You know, do your job because that's what you're good at, uh, and I think that is a, a self-enforcing thing that over time will, will you know, will create that positivity and belief uh, even further. And then the results have gone his way here early on, which, which I think is it's it's something that ampl- amplifies that process really as well. So yeah, a lot of positivity. Ange Postecoglou, I think, along like there's the likes of Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp's have got everything. He's, he's got the whole approach. He understands everything, the dynamics and what it takes to be a world-class manager. And that's why they're successful. And you still, I still say that, you know, Ange's one of a very, very few that have got all sides to um, the armory. Do you, do you feel like making any any bold predictions here, Bridgie, in terms of what Spurs <laughs> can do for the season? No, no, I'm not making anything on. on Spurs, mate. I'm happy to go out Title and say about Brighton come on, Bridgie. and Newcastle. Uh, no, they're not. Uh, I'm not going to say that. No. <laughs> All no, right. you, Tommy's, Tommy's yeah, just sorry, said it there. Sorry, Tommy's sorry. said it. <laughs> I'm not going down that one. Uh, you know, again, I, you know, I, I love what, what, he, what he's come out and said. Like, I th- you know, the fans, go and enjoy it. You know, but be, you know, be positive. You know, don't be, you know, oh, yeah, let, let, let's, you know, let, let's pull the handbrake and let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like, you know, that's what football is all about is about getting excited and then we'll, we'll see where it ends up. Uh, you know, I don't think they're quite there for a title challenge and, 
you know, at some point there's going to be, uh, you know, difficult times, but, but I think Ange, you know, if you, if you create that culture that he's starting to create, I think uh, that that's how you weather the storm. Manager of the season, there you go. Because if he gets manager of the season, that means Spurs are going to win something. So I'll not say that title contenders, Phil Thomas, I'm not getting sucked in there. But Angie's won his first award in a manager a month. Um, and people like Madison are thriving off this guy's attacking football. He's done it without Harry Kane. Manager of the season, there you go. Uh, I take that. Yep. Uh, manager of the month. He was uh, the first uh, Premier League manager of the month uh, for uh, August. And uh, if he continues to get a few more of those, Spurs, I'm sure, are going to have uh, a pretty good season. They don't have European football to contend with. They do have, didn't want European football anyway. Who wants that? It's overrated, right? It's all about the, it's all about the <laughs> Premier League. Um, they've got the North London derby coming up next weekend, which is going to be massive, obviously, against Arsenal. Then Liverpool. So two really big games coming up for Spurs. And maybe we can talk a little bit further uh, after uh, that about them being potential uh, title challengers uh, or not, but another really big result for uh, uh, for Spurs. Uh, let's stay in North London and move on to uh, to Arsenal, who uh, <clears throat> you know, as it might pain me to say, they they are title contenders. Uh, they got a one 0 win at Everton. They ground out this victory at Goodison Park, which has not been a happy hunting ground for them. Their first win there in nearly six years. Um, Trossard coming off the bench and, and scoring the only goal of the game. Uh, the, the I guess one of the headlines from this um, from this game was uh, in goal, uh, Thomas, because uh, Aaron Ramsdale was dropped, and in came uh, David Raya, who people on social media have been consistently telling me for the last few months is my absolute doppelganger. It wasn't me in goal; it was David Raya, and he got a, he got a clean sheet. But it's interesting that Arsenal have got these two top goalkeepers. You don't clearly have a number one. What's your what's your feeling, Thomas, about having these two top goalkeepers uh, fighting for for one place? No, I'm I'm, um, I'm I'm all for competition, um, and and uh, it'll all come down to to management. Uh, you know, because you know having having two good goalkeepers, you need a clear definition and roles uh, to create some stability. You know, I was in a situation at at Stoke where Asmir Begovic, uh, younger goalkeeper but really talented, uh, was was bought by the club. Uh, and we end like in a similar situation with two good goalkeepers that expected to win. He was in with the Bosnian national team. I was obviously with the Danish national team, and and Tony Pulis, you know, handled it by you know defining you know that I ended up playing in the FA Cup and the in the cup competitions, uh, some of the European football, and then you know Begovic uh, played primarily in the Premier League and yes it wasn't the ideal situation but it was it was good enough for us to push each other and 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 keep a good environment um what I don't like uh, about the situation is him coming out and saying that uh you know he wished he he had changed keepers you know during games yeah. and uh you know that that he'll definitely not uh you know say that he won't do that in the future I think that is taking it a step too far because that you need, you know, with your back line, you need some stability uh, in and around it because there, there's so many details in, in, the, in, in the goalkeeping and, and especially back line uh, partnership that uh, too many changes in games. I think uh, it, it, it's not going to be productive. So, so I, you know, I like what he's doing to some extent, but uh, if he starts to take it too far, I, th I think it'll come back as a boomerang and, and hit him right in the face. I thought that was a massive insult, Tommy, when Arteta came out and said that, when he was thinking, 
I was thinking of changing things yeah, in the 65th minute, the, the, the 80th minute of games. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm pleased that yeah. I did change it before the kickoff. And I'm thinking, wow, if I'm Ramsdale and I'm looking, obviously, I'm looking at Phil, who is the doppelganger of um, <laughs> of David. I, I, what's, your, what's your take on it, David, getting getting uh, your first your first start? You know, did you enjoy it? Yeah, really pleased to come in, get the clean sheet. You know, three points, the most important thing. But, you know, really happy for the team. And uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. wow, that was a straight down the middle answer. Come on. You know, tell, t- me, but if, tell if, us if that Optus you don't Sport, like Ramsdale. Tell you hate if, Ramsdale. Come on. If Optus Sport just crop that out and just say that, that is David Ray doing his interview, we'll get away with it, you know. <laughs> Absolute I, I spit image. Slightly... Slightly dodgy Spanish accent, and then it would make it even more uh, more uh, authentic. <laughs> but but no, I mean, listen, having these two uh, these two goalkeepers, when you're training, Thomas, and you obviously you've been in this kind of situation when you're training, and you've got someone else who are literally competing, you two for one spot. Does it spur you on? Is can you have a good relationship with the other player? Is there always in the back of the mind like um you are my enemy? We are competing for one spot, or, or, or can you have a good relationship and it can actually make you better? Uh, you know, I think in general, um, I, I've always had a, a good and respectful relationship. You, you might not necessarily be best friends, but 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 you also, to some extent, know that it's out of your hands. It still lies with the manager, and and you, you got to make it work because I think that's you know Arteta was starting you know in the press conference to talk about oh, but I left this player out instead of this player, and you know, but you got to understand that the goalkeeping environment is, is so, you know, it's down to four people and, and you're, you're together for a lot of time. Uh, you, you, you're not sort of disappearing among 50 other players. So, 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 so you need to make it work. Otherwise it, it's horrible. And I've seen it happen where the two goalkeepers couldn't stand each other. I think Bridget, you saw it up at Sunderland where Lionel Perez and was it uh, Edwin Soderbear, you know, they, they were, yeah. cha- <laughs> they were, they were training in, in both sides of, of the training ground. And, you know, if, if they could have killed each other, they would. Uh, and, and, and I don't think it was good for anyone. It's, <laughs> and it's, it's the only club I've been so, at, so Thomas. It's the only club I've been at, Thomas, where we had two goalkeeping coaches because they had, they could, they had to get another, another staff member in just so they could actually coach one player at the other end of the training park. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, they seem like two, two, two good people. So I'm sure they're going to make it work. But I don't think in long term, uh, beyond this season, if if one player doesn't play, uh, they're too ambitious to to stay there. So, yes, he can kick the can down the road for a little while, but it, it's not going to last. Uh, I think uh, with these two for for more than a year. Uh, presumably, what's going to happen is what happened with uh, with with you, and what generally happens in this situation is that one of them will play in the Premier League, and one of them will play in the cup competitions. They've got Champions League as well, so could just about maybe keep one of them happy by uh, by doing that. Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's the only solution. Then they are in Europe, so they got you know they'll have plenty of games to mm. to as, at, at least get by, but. Yeah, you know, I, uh, you know, I think both keepers are are good enough to 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 play in the Premier League, um, and and that's how they'll see it uh, going forward, uh, at least a little bit further down the line. Okay, um, we'll leave the Premier League chat there. We're going to head to a break. When we come back, we're focusing on the big stories from La Liga. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Time for us to turn our attentions now to what happened in the Spanish top flights at the weekend. There was a big win from Barcelona. They beat Real Betis by five goals to nil. Probably their best performance of the season so far. Uh, Real Madrid, though, are Top of the table, they've made it five wins from five. They came from behind again to beat Real Sociedad by two goals to one. I was at the Bernabeu last night, by the way, <laughs> just picking up on, on what you guys were saying when we were talking about Spurs and absolutely nobody leaving in the 97th minute. I was there. I was at the Bernabeu. I was in amongst the fans. Uh, I'm, I'm not a Real Madrid fan. I'm not a Real Sociedad fan, but I stayed until the end. It was only 2-1 and there was loads of Real Madrid fans leaving for about the 85th minute. I guess that's the kind of confidence slash arrogance of a Real Madrid fan saying, yeah, we're 2-1 up, five minutes to go, we're, we're going to go. I, I couldn't believe it that there were loads of people. I know there's bad traffic, but my word, it was um, it was surprising. Phil, um, quiz question the, uh, the, for the, you, yeah. by the way, Phil. Quiz question for you, yeah. Last night, Real Madrid got the victory over who? Was your first question. Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad, right. Real Sociedad, right. Real Real Madrid here. Ne- Sorry. Oh, man, I've totally messed it up. Real Sociedad, every time they've taken the lead in the last 30 matches, have never lost. Who was the last team that they managed to take the lead against and ended up getting beat? Uh, what, apart from Real Madrid last night? Um, Correct. Re- re- oh, he nearly uh, said it to you. Rio? Real Madrid again. Can you believe that? How stats come around and haunt each other? Yeah. So when they went 1-0 up last night, everybody was just saying, oh, hang on a minute. I could could hear the tension coming around because we're saying the last team that did this to us after we've gone 1-0 up, if there's anybody can do it, it was Real Madrid. So there you go. That was the talk in my local pub last night, mate. It was um, the stats were going around. People were on their phones getting their their bets on things and um, taking Real Madrid (laughs) to get one over when they went 1-0 down. But it looked an incredible game. That's the thing with Real Madrid. That's the thing with Real Madrid. They, they, they've conceded uh, the first goal, I think, in four of their five games and they've come back yeah. and, they, and they've won them all. And that's the thing with Real Madrid generally, genuinely, whenever they concede, whatever kind of situation they're in, they always think they're going to win. The fans always think they're going to win. The players still believe that they can win. And that's what happens when, you know, you've won the European Cup 14 times and you're the most successful team in, in Spanish football history. You do have this imbued confidence slash arrogance that you need. Uh, to be successful. It wasn't the like the best performance from them uh, last night. Jude Bellingham didn't score, which is he weird. Should've. He should have. He should have. The header on the goal line. Yeah. He had an unbelievably good chance that was uh, that was saved. But um, yeah, Real Madrid uh, getting, that, getting that victory and, and starting with five out of five. And there's merit in this because Thibaut Courtois, their goalkeeper, out for the season. Eda Militao, their best defender, out for the season. Vinicius Junior, their their best attacker, is out for you know a couple of months. And all this yeah. in the season, first season in fifteen years that they don't have Karim Benzema. So to have won their yeah. first five games is um is, is really so impressive. 
my question to you, Phil, obviously you watch a, you watch a lot of Spanish football. The um, Benzema obviously is not there anymore. Right now, when I saw that they'd signed uh, Hosselu, I'm thinking, why would Real Madrid sign him? Because I've seen him in the past in, in England and thought nothing of him. He seems to have given them a new dimension, though, because the cross that came into the box, the header, the way he's been able to give them a new aerial presence, has that gone down well at the um, with the Real Madrid fans? Has it got? It went down well when he scored. He missed a couple of chances before, and the fans yeah. around me were sort of grumbling, going, "Oh, you know, Marcelo is <laughs> rubbish." Um, <laughs> he's very different to Karim Benzema, basically because there's nobody like Karim Benzema who was a number nine with the soul of a number 10, to use his to use his own words. Rossello is an out-and-out out number nine. He was the top-scoring Spaniard in La Liga last season. He scored a lot of goals in an Espanol side that got relegated. He's a good forward. He's a good striker. Yeah. Do you know why they signed him, Bridgie? Do you know why they signed him? Because they, they didn't get Harry Kane. Mbappe. All right. Because they thought they were going to get Mbappe. Mbappe was the plan to get Kylian Mbappe. They didn't get him. And in the end, they've ended up only with Hosselu only to try and replace uh, Karim Benzema. So that's one um, hell of a wake up call, Vinicius, isn't it? Imagine, 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 yeah. imagine waking up in the morning thinking that one night you're getting Mbappe and you wake up and read the papers and you get Hosselu. <laughs> You'd think it was April Fools. Hey, you know, but, but again, I think, you know, Spurs let Kane go, you know, Benzema not there, you know, it might just free up other players. And I think that's, yeah. You know, that's hope that's that should be the hope for them. But I'm sure, you know, Real Madrid, they're they're living on big signings. So I'm sure there'll be someone trying desperate to get, you know, someone maybe in January. The thing is, if they'd got Mbappe, they would have been favourites for the league and I think maybe even favourites for the Champions League as well. That's how big a signing it would have it would have been. He didn't come this summer, didn't come last summer. They've been trying to sign him for five years. It hasn't happened. It surely has to happen next summer. Um, otherwise, goodness knows. But uh, but yeah. So Real Madrid, top of the table. Uh, but Barcelona just behind them. Really, really impressive performance from Barcelona, who haven't actually played brilliantly this, this season. But they did on Saturday night against Betis. 5-0. João Felix making his debut and scoring. João Cancelo making his debut and scoring, it was all about the two Jaws on, on on Saturday night, and they've brought a different element to this uh, to this Barca side. I must confess, I was sceptical about the signing of Jao Felix. I think it might have been on this podcast, and Schwartz is not here to to remind me. I think I might have said this signing doesn't make sense. I cannot see it happening. So they obviously proceeded to go inside him, but then he scored on his debut. So I'm eating my words at the moment, but he looked good, Jao Felix. He's, he's a hell of a player when he's up for it and in the right system as well. Yeah, and I, and I think at Barcelona, he doesn't need to be the main man you know he he can be you know obviously he can be at times the main man but he can he can be a supporting cast you know i think they've got in the system uh plenty of players um you know that that can you know set him up to succeed i think uh you know the the, the two young Yavi, xavi and and pedri obviously in midfield but you know cancelo i think great signing probably the best right back that have had uh, since uh, you know Alves in in his prime um you know it gives them you know something going forward someone just bombing on and 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 how improved the Ferran Torres uh, I thought he was on the way out and apparently he's he, he's done a lot of work himself to to be fitter stronger um and I think it also shows that uh, you know he's He's a different player, so I think they've they've taken steps now to to be a more dominant side and not just a one nil, uh, you know, really boring uh, Barcelona by their standards. Um, you know, hopefully it's a new era and 
Xavi can get them to to play like we've seen in the past. I'm going to say it's, a, it's the most fluid I've seen them play and the most exciting I've seen them in a long time, Barcelona. And it was almost like going back to the glory days and I was getting carried away watching the game going, this is special. Yeah. We're seeing things and like you say there, uh, Cancelo, um, I'm really surprised that they've been able to get him and Barcelona will be delighted because that, that for me is a, an unbelievable signing. And the one you've said there, Phil, obviously I'd admit in humble pie about Joao Felix, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. Um, there's many a player I've gone out and loaned to Chelsea and or signed for Chelsea, not being able to find the back of the net. It's it's almost become the the number nine stigma that that surrounds who can score the goals at Chelsea. I, I loved what he was all about. I think his energy levels are there, his work rates there. Um, he, he, I think he's very versatile um, and he understands a lot of roles. And I'm sure that's why he's going to get the reap the benefits at Barca because we're not just going to see him in one position. We'll see him being able to float around and pick the ball up and do the damage that he can do. And I'm saying that he's going to kickstart his career at Barcelona. I think he did score on his Chelsea debut as well, didn't he? Um, so maybe, and then it didn't go very well. So maybe yeah. uh, we shouldn't get too too carried away, but it does feel like a good fit. And I think afterwards he spoke and he said, uh, you know, I mean, I'm in a team where the structure is good. They're set up well. We move the ball quickly as well. Obviously yeah. a bit of a dig at Atletico Madrid and, and the relationship between him and Diego Simeone is completely over, completely over. Uh, and I, I'd all, I also think we need to account that uh, Real Betis played their third string keeper in this game. And I, I, he didn't have a, a great uh, debut. Uh, so, uh, you know, maybe God. for the 5-0. News was, flash. Was, 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 the goalkeeper's <laughs> union has been broken. That, whoa, what a dig. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. No, I, I, he seemed uh, a bit out of his depth uh, in, in this one. But, uh, you know, okay. You know, against the Barcelona, you're going to get exposed. Uh, okay, let's. Uh, that I mean, that is strong, strong words there from uh, from from Thomas. Uh, let's um, let's move on because uh, I want to talk about a return, uh, the return of the prodigal son to Sevilla. Sergio Ramos back at the club. He left eighteen years ago. He made his debut yesterday for Sevilla in their one 0 win against Las Palmas. They'd lost all three games before this. They hadn't kept a clean sheet. In comes Sergio Ramos and they get their first win of the season. First clean sheet as well. It's not... There is a little bit of context to this. Las Palmas are the worst attacking team in the division. They've only scored one goal all season. That but that's not the headline. Come on, don't kill the headline. <laughs> We've got the headline. I'm just giving the context now. It was the penalty on the opening day of the season. That's it. So Phil, if there was ever like a up, game that he could have handed. You built it up so well, mate. And I'm going, oh, this is amazing. And Tommy's just <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but anyway, so yeah, but you know, he did keep a clean sheet. They kept a clean sheet and he and he uh, came back in and helped yeah. them to get those. Those three points. Um, they say never go back, don't they? They say you know it's never it's it's never as good when you go back second time yeah. around. But uh, it's it's going to be difficult for him. But after eighteen years, there is something romantic about him going back to his first club. There certainly is, and I love the way he got all emotion when he went back as well. And and do you know what I, what I respect about him? I know he went to PSG and filled his pockets with a lot of dollar. He could have gone to Saudi. He didn't. Um, he's gone back for. You know, for the the loyalties, and I think for his family as well to go back. Um, and I think you know, I've got to admire that form because I thought, you know, there's not many footballers you see in this day and age doing that kind of thing. And I, I thought it was a lovely moment, and, and delighted. You know, he's coming out there. He looked the part, and I'll never forget about um, my mate Jonathan Woodgate when he left Newcastle United and he went to Real Madrid. And he hadn't been there long. He said, "My God," he said, "Bridgie, I have I've seen this unbelievable player." He said, he, "He's his nickname mm. is the Wall." the wall and I said oh who's this he said the kid 
kid called Ramos. He said, "Just watch him. He's going to be incredible." He said, "He, he he's just kicking the lumps out of <laughs> out of Raúl and and Michael Owen in training. He, he doesn't care who they are, what they are. He's going to be a superstar." And obviously, all these years later, we're talking about him. Still, still doing it. He's still, still doing it. Twenty years still doing thing, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me me and Woodgate are on crutches. We've been in hospital beds for thirteen operations since retirement, and uh, Ramos is still going. So um, it just shows you the the caliber of the player. And I'm delighted that um, they've, they've they've you know that that game. Whether you say they're playing against the worst team attacking in the league, it doesn't matter. He was there. Um, he did a job, and it, it, I just think it's a great moment for him and and for the club. Yeah, and Ramos is is he's like Pepe, you know, he he uh, he, he can always uh, put a foot in, and he's probably a player that that's over the last year has has you know probably had to eat a bit of humble pie, you know, with with what happened at PSG and and with the national team as well, and and I, I like this move. I, I think it's great yeah. that he goes back to his his childhood club, and you know, hopefully he can give something back there and and give them, you know, they they have you know they have struggled over the. At least last season, they they did struggle, and um, you know, if he can give them a lift, I think it, it'll be great for for him and uh, and for the club. He's almost like this sort of cartoonish superhero figure, isn't he, because Sergio Ramos? And there was one moment in the game where he, where he threw himself at a goal bound shot, and he blocked it with his chest, puffed out this chest, and, and, and saved Sevilla. <laughs> and he does have this this superhero aura uh, around him, and that was a, a typical Sergio Ramos moment. Um, that he, he's got to convince some of the fans as well, by the way, because uh, I don't know if you if if you guys or the listeners know, but uh, the, uh, the the ultras behind one of the goals. They have not liked Sergio Ramos for for a long time. They weren't happy with the way he left the club, and then they weren't happy with with. So he left. Then they whistled and booed him whenever he came back, which wound him up to then give it back to them. And he celebrated all the Real Madrid goals and he did some gestures. So it was a vicious circle of antagonism. So when they signed him again, the uh, the ultras released a statement saying we're not happy with the signing. It goes against the values of our club. Nobody can come back and who's disrespect to the club like this should come back. So here I must publicly apologise to them, saying I'm really sorry if I've offended anyone in the past with any of my actions, etc. So there is still work for him to do to try and win them over. They said, we're not going to whistle you. We're not going to boo you. We're not going to do anything that can hurt the team. But they still, they don't forgive him. They do not forgive Sergio Ramos for leaving and for and for winding them up. So there is still a bit of there's a bit of drama in this story to come. So we've had the we had the return of the prodigal son and Be, clean sheet on, and a win in the first game, but there's still drama. Phil, I've been there and done that myself. Tommy was Sunderland. I left Sunderland. I went to Leeds. I scored a goal against Sunderland for Leeds United. I give it the all. I celebrated a little bit too, <laughs> too um, rigorously. Was that we against say. me, Bridgie? Oh yeah, there you go, Tommy. It was against you, mate. Near post, you, you came out, you came, you came out flapping. <laughs> uh, oh come on, man! Come on, it was just top corner. In, come on, man! Nick, no, <laughs> nicked in front of you. I just just beat you to it. I was a little bit sharper back then. And um, several years oh. later, the the prodigal son returned to Sunderland um, under Mick McCarthy. And like you say, don't go back. I went there in the championship. Um, and like you say, it wasn't the dream move that I was expecting it to be because I didn't get much game time. But however, the two players, uh, Stuart Elliott and Marcus Stewart, were scoring goals at will. I became a bit part player. Um, but we got promoted that season. So I got another another championship medal back to the Premier League. But it, it took a while for the fans to, um, like you say, just to forgive for my for my celebrations for Leeds United. So there you go. They, but I won them over in the end. But that's the thing. 
if you win, then fans will forget, surely. You know, if you win or you score goals or you keep clean sheets or you do whatever, then, you know, the fans will forget, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure. Um, I, I gave some context to this at, at the start when we were talking about Sevilla saying Las Palmas were the worst attacking team in the division. They also had an absolute nightmare of a trip getting to this game. Now, I don't know if any of our listeners know, but Las Palmas is from Gran Canaria, which is in the Canary Islands, which is an archipelago of islands located off the western coast of Africa. It's far away from the Spanish mainland. They've got to fly at least two and a half hours to get to any game in La Liga. So that the airport preparing for their trip to, to Madrid. So they're going to fly to Madrid and then from Madrid fly down to Seville. And 15 Las Palmas players decided, I oh, will go off and get a coffee and come back and, and, and then we'll board the plane. And they missed the flight. They missed their flight because they were off getting a coffee. 15 players, two physios as well. So the club has to charter a direct plane to get these players from Las Palmas to Seville at immense cost. It was a very, very costly uh, cup of coffee for these uh, for these players. And um, yeah, their uh, preparations for this game were, uh, were, were pretty disrupted. I don't know if you guys have ever done anything like that. Have ever missed, uh, missed a flight or missed a coach? Bridgie's nodding. And why am I not surprised? <laughs> I've never missed a flight and I was never late for a bus. So I was always on time. The one thing I did have, I was at Hull City. I had an absolute nightmare. I missed the train down to London when Phil Brown was the manager. And me and Phil Brown basically hated each other anyway. So I, I could just imagine the delight of when me missing the train um, by traffic and trying to park. And he would have been delighted because I knew as soon as I missed it, the lads were laughing, texting me going, you're get you're, you're getting done four weeks wages here. The gaffer's actually celebrating. He's just popped a bottle of champagne, knowing that you've messed up. So what he what he made us do? He said you've got to make you're, you're getting fine. I got to find two weeks wages. He said you've got to get your own way down because you're going to be a valuable, important player in this game. Um, so make your own way down at your own cost. So I ended up getting the, the train was going to get down there too late. So I got myself a private hire car. Um, driver took us all the way down, gets to the hotel, um, sees the team and the squad, me being the valuable member that Phil Brown said I was going to be, and I, I wasn't even involved in the subs bench. So that was my punishment. <laughs> he made us he made <laughs> us think I was going to be in the starting lineup. Um, got all the way down there and I was bombed out from the squad. So it made Phil Brown's day. It was a big fundamental error by me, but um, obviously it, it made the gaffer very, very happy. <laughs> Bridget, I can tell you something that didn't make my day. My second international away to Portugal. We had landed, uh, I think, about 11 o'clock, got to the hotel, had lunch. Uh, we were told, go to your rooms, have a have a little sleep, and then at 4 o'clock, we're going to leave for training. Uh, obviously, it was Peter Smichael. I was, you know, just come in the team, and uh, for some reason, I ended up in a, in a single room, and they forgot to tell me that they moved the departure to the stadium uh, for the training uh, at 15 minutes. So I turned up in reception at four o'clock. <laughs> Absolutely no one there. <laughs> and then I panicked. I got, I got in a taxi, got to the, 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 the stadium uh, and they were doing a press session. So I came running out. Everyone was watching. The press was there. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it was my proudest moment. Uh, and and Michael gave me a few... Uh, <laughs> A few comments Tom, along the way. Tommy, did you did you so, think uh, that you'd been stitched up at one point? Were you thinking when you got the hotel reception that oh um, here yeah, this is this yeah. is like the prank of the new arrival? They've stitched me up at a certain time. 
Yeah, no, I was I was standing down there. I, I went to reception. They, they, they didn't have a clue. Where is <laughs> and, everyone? And, again, I, and I was shitting myself. Uh, sorry for my language. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, I had to eat, eat a bit of humble pie and pay for a few beers after the game for, for the whole squad. So uh, yeah, I learned my lesson. Always I check th- up on chain. <laughs> I think the Las Palmas guys are worse. I think what they did was worse than either of those <laughs> yeah. things. So I think yeah. they, uh, they. Phil, what, what's they it, come but, on then, uh, Phil? What you you must you've got some stories, Phil. You must have done something in the past where you've missed a massive deadline for a meeting, or you you know mate. you told us a great one about no, you, you no, queuing no. twelve hours. You must have something. Yeah, in the no, pipeline. I was trying to think. I've 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 always been you know a modicum of uh, you know I've been a model of professionalism, Bridgie. And, you know, well, I've you're no good for this podcast, then, are you? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, right. We should have asked Schwartzy. I'm sure he's, he's missed he's missed a lot. I'm sure we're, we're here podcast. pouring out our embarrassments, and and you are just Mr. Perfect. You're just uh... sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. I'll I'll, 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 I'll I'll try and miss some stuff for next week. And uh, Tommy uh, doesn't want to lose back. his place to Ramsdale again if he tells Arteta what he's been up to in the past. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to live this down. I might as well just adopt the David Raya persona for, from now on. Um, listen, that's all we've got time for today thanks a lot to uh, Thomas and Bridgie for uh, uh, for joining us uh, a reminder that every game of the Premier League and La Liga is live on Optus Sports and the FA Women's Super League returns very soon there are no fewer than 13 Australians playing in the league so uh, make sure you check that out thanks for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast and we'll see you next time <laughs>